NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep. It's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. Cricket is a lot of things. But cricket isn't your dad yelling out, Nice shot, son. You can still make it. It's Donald Trump bats eight and doesn't bowl. Cricket isn't freshly pressed, spotless whites that proudly represent your club, your family and you. It's sweat-laden cotton marinating in the fumes of the rest of your kit, only to emerge on Saturday after establishing that we're fielding, boys, whereupon you realise you've lost your club cap. You say, I'm missing my cap, boys. Who stole my cap? Does anyone have a spare cap? Cricket isn't about playing with a straight bat and putting away the bad balls. It's about putting your left pad on first because he hit a 50 once when you were 12, and that's the only way you can hit runs. It's one of many absurd superstitions you've developed over the past 20 years to help you succeed in the tough, mentally challenging world of cricket, unaware that these obscure safety-seeking behaviours will eventually take over your entire life and lead your family doctor to diagnose you with obsessive-compulsive disorder. Thanks, cricket. The great cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a great cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the great cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Great Cricketer Podcast on Fox Sports. My name is Ian Higgins. I'm joined today by Sam Perry and Dave Edwards. It is a monumental day for us as human beings in this society and the world. Donald Trump has literally just given his acceptance speech, uh, announcing that Hillary Clinton called him on the phone to concede defeat. But you don't care about that because you're listening to a cricket podcast the day after <laughs> the biggest event in the world. So, boys, welcome. Thanks for joining me and thanks for not watching Donald Trump's speech. Well, I mean, we have had to rebrand this, the grade cricketer Trump cast, though, I believe, <laughs> now that we're out of uh, Legally. Fox Sports. So why don't we just get this Trump stuff out of the way yep. early? Because there are synergies, sorry to use that sort of bastardized corporate term, but That's there okay. are synergies between Trump and grade yep. cricket. We've been exploiting them for a while. Sure. Um, yeah, it's been a, tra- t- a terrible week for Australian cricket fans um, who swing liberal, but a wonderful week for South African Donald Trump fans. <laughs> I think if you're listening, so a, a cheerio to you out there. I mean, let's start with the Simpsons line. I, for one, welcome our new insect overlords. Uh, how do you guys feel? Look, mate, it's it's a little bit scary. I wasn't expecting it. I don't think any of you guys were, but to me, it, it kind of reminds me of when T20 came around. Hillary Clinton, she's mm-hmm. Test Cricket, mm-hmm. Donald Trump's T20. And I was scared when T20 came out of nowhere. <laughs> you know, fireworks, female cheerleaders, R&B. you know, disruption, basically. But no one died and we had plenty of laughs, so I remain hopeful. <laughs> In a lot of ways, there is some synergy with synergy with the, with the first Test defeat because obviously the polls were suggesting 
that uh, Hillary Clinton would win, and those are the polls where people vote for, not the Polish people, of course. Um, <laughs> but, this is about the clarifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all about clarity yeah, in this Clinton podcast. Fans. Clinton fans out there. And so um, I think we were expecting a strong Australian performance. We were expecting a strong Hillary performance in the polls. And this week, we've been disappointed on both fronts. Which dressing room do you think is more sombre or was more sombre, the Australian dressing room or the American collective dressing room nah, uh, on the Clinton, East and West Clinton, man. Coast? Clinton, 100%. Have you seen the photos? There's like, it's like looking at the Hindenburg go down, like the, like the young, white, good-looking people in, like the, in, the, in the Clinton camp, yeah. like mouths agasp. And you can just imagine the Trump dressing room. It's just dirty blokes in white. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We the did big, it, boys. It's the, the biggest song of all time. Oh. Dressing rooms are being destroyed as yeah. we speak. <laughs> Collective dressing rooms, that is. We wouldn't uh, be endorsing that anywhere else. So, so we're obviously ready to start making comedy about this. They, they say comedy is sort of tragedy plus time. I mean, has there been enough time? He literally just gave his six minutes. Yeah, let's get right into it. Yeah, I, I just want to say one last thing about it as well. I mm. mean, if there's ever, there's never been a better time to release bad news about anything going on in life right now because this is wall to wall U.S presidential coverage. Absolutely. So I just wanted to ask you guys if there's anything you want to confess <laughs> that uh, won't be heard by anybody and you can just say it happened publicly. Yeah. I, I shot JFK. <laughs> <laughs> I always knew that Sapruda film was fake. Yeah. yeah. yeah I also stole, stole all our club's cricket balls as well. Bev, Bev and White, if you're listening. Bev, g'day Bev. Bev and White. Is this not just the greatest blowout of all time. I mean, if this was a person on the circuit, they'd been a bad circuiter, you know, on, yep. on, on the drink for a long time, bad social reputation, then, then yep. decided to be good, you yep. know, to be disciplined, to be disciplined in body and mind, to be nice to people, mm. save some money a little bit, uh, and then decide, no, that's it. I'm just going to have a massive blowout and just everything's worse than it already was. Um, that, that's what <laughs> yeah. I feel like America is right now. It's just a massive uh, America blowout. America is the recorrection. America is the fourth grade captain who had a, you know, a stable marriage for seven years, eight years, actually. And um, and it all went wrong. And he has had a huge, huge blowout. And what has he done? He's woken up the next day and, and Donald Trump's the president of the United States. Mm. There was some cricket that took place. Uh, a match ended a couple of days ago. Oh, it feels like a lifetime ago, Piss. But let, let's, let's review Australia-South Africa in the first test. We didn't expect this result either because we're completely ignorant. And... Uh, <laughs> think we're much better than we are. Everything was bad for Australia. They lost by 177 runs. Uh, we've lost our luster at home. Uh, everything just seemed bad. You know, our batters were bad. Our bowls were bad. We didn't catch anything. Nah. Everything is Lions' fault. Everything's a selector's fault. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we've got no confidence at home at all, mm. which was our kind of domain. What mm. were your main takeaways? Look, I mean, for me, losing on home soil is the biggest takeaway. We're so dominant at home. And, you know, it's... For me, it's kind of like the, the time when you realise your casual drinking is a problem. <laughs> um, you know, it started off as a glass after work, after, you know, just one glass, and then two glasses, then it's a bottle. Suddenly you're making a drunken speech at your cousin's wedding and you're regretting the hell out of it. And that's kind of what I think happened to us at the Wacker. Same thing. It's exactly the same thing. It was a drunk wedding speech that raised eyebrows <laughs> and Australian cricket needs an intervention. Yeah. I mean, and, and what sort of what would an intervention look like? I mean, I, I've always been a big sort of believer in reports. Mm. Where uh, would you have the intervention? <laughs> it's right. Are we, I, are we getting all the cricketers together and we're you know in the dressing room and having a chat about it? <laughs> Where do we stage I, I think we need a club lock-in. Yeah, for sure. 
the only way to get us through this is a club lock-in. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the way to get through anything. That's the yeah. big takeaway. It was just really surprising the capitulation. Like, wasn't it all great? We we, we refreshed our Facebook news feeds and we've seen the Mitchell Marsh has taken a great grab in the gully in the mm. first over of the Test match or whatever it was. Yeah. And we're thinking, you beauty, this will be over in two and a half days. We're going to win. We are the best thing ever. Australia is God. Mm. That's what everyone was saying. Everyone, everyone. And and then as it transpired, um, you know, it's, it went even better. We rolled them for two hundred and thirty. David Warner creaming them. He's on 97. He's on 70, you know, not out overnight. Mm. Partnership of 130-odd. And we're thinking this is going to be a huge league. We'll probably win this match by an innings. And then we lost um, 10 to none. Mm. And all of a sudden we have a, we have a small deficit. or Two-run lead. Two-run lead. You're right, Pez. Two-run lead. And then from there, it was just the South Africa show, wasn't it? And, uh, and I think we all just turned off our televisions and then started supporting Kyrgios. <laughs> that's, that's, again, again, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> you speak for all of us, as always. <laughs> You're on the Grey Cricketer podcast, uh, yeah, where we speak for everybody. We speak uh, to everybody. Very yeah. straight sentences. Yeah. Uh, so are we, are we taking a bit away from South Africa there as well? Were they excellent or were we just ordinary? Does it even matter? Weren't we bad, though? Because we're talking about the attack last week and it was we, we, were, t- we were prefacing that it was going to be Stain and Morkel. Well, I certainly was anyway. Wrong on both counts. Morkel not even picked. And that was like a big controversy because he was declared fit the day before. Then all of a sudden, not even the starting 11. Mm. And then Stain bowls for about 15 minutes and then just out. He's out. Yeah, it's him done. So we're thinking, oh, we'll, we'll cruise this. And then we got absolutely pumped. We, like you know, us in the room, we did. Yeah. We did. Because I'm part of that team. Um, so, like, how is, that's bad. It's bad, Pez. Well, you know, it's really bad. We we all assumed, and you know, we said as much last week that it was going to be a procession of runs and wickets for Australia in the first test, <laughs> and this right. would we win go three throughout nil. the summer. Three nil. Three nil, and then yeah. three nil versus the Pakistanis, yeah. and then you know, just six nil. Six Never lose again. Win every match. Yeah, yeah especially <laughs> at home. But no, we've been absolutely troubled and, mm. and shocked by this, as Hillary Clinton has today. There's so many mm. synergies, as you say, Pez. Mm. It's, it's, it's astounding. Um, look, I mean, you asked where do we go from here? We've we got to pick up, we got to pick up our slacks, and we've got to get out there, and we've got to make a show of it. And, and that's why I'm prepared to declare that when most people listen to this podcast, Australia will probably be none for 400 uh, mm. with two double centuries uh, mm. to the openers uh, because we'll win again and we'll win forever. We'll win, we'll win forever. Uh, it, it, it is concerning, though, with the manner that we lost in South Africa pre this series. A lot of people have forgotten about that because it's a lifetime ago now. But we did lose every single one of those one days. We got mm. pumped in Sri Lanka. It just feels like a long time since we've won some cricket matches, and we need to win some cricket matches. <laughs> we need to end matches with superior amount of runs <laughs> yeah. than other sides, yeah. and them dismissed. Yeah, that's the intervention. I mean, on South Africa's, on South Africa though, just for a second, yeah. a couple of awesome displays yeah. from them. Bavuma's run out, mm. something uh, decidedly superior in its athleticism. It, it had a, sort of an NBA quality yeah. to it, that run-out. I mean, yeah. there's been yeah. no shortage of superlatives. Oh, it really is the best run-out I've ever seen. Mm. It's a sort of run-out that you see in the shorter version of the game now as part of the massive highlight reels to uh, encourage people to think that the shorter version actually has the most explosive things happening. But mm. the timing of that run-out on the day of the test match that it happened... Mm. Uh, made it even more special. Seriously, yeah. the I best mean, run out I've seen. Cricket doesn't have many like visceral moments where you just sh- you know you shout at the screen. Yeah. You know, Sorry, I thought yeah. you had to launch into another cricket is cricket is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, just to see that come out of nowhere, as you say, was was absolutely amazing. It was the facial dunk in the NBA. It was get out of your seat. That is the best thing I've yeah. ever seen. It was blokes holding each other back on the bench with you know <laughs> waving the towels <laughs> on the <laughs> sides. Hattie Mills. 
And, and also, Kageso Rabada, did you watch any of his bowling? Did you watch any of Rabada's bowling? Not it, at all. It, <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't what? know why I looked at you when I asked that question. <laughs> it, it was just sensational, yeah, seriously. I, I've started an appreciation society, uh, which you're welcome to join. But it, it was like sort of Simon Jones 2005-esque, yeah. Flintoff yeah. 05, the, the mastery the reverse swinging ball. Also something we now can't do. That's Nathan Lyon's fault, apparently. Yeah. Um, was just, it was something to behold. He's 21. He's awesome. And uh, I want to appreciate him throughout the summer. So let's talk about one of the big wickets that Rabada took during the test match. And that was the one of Mitchell Mars, which has somehow caused a lot of controversy. Yep. If I can give you guys my take on it, that's hitting all three stumps. And I'll tell you why I think that. Because the technology said it did. And I believe yep. the technology... I believe in science. You believe in science over gut feel. Global yes. warming scientists, is real. Yeah, scientists, technology, yeah. peer-reviewed academic papers. Yeah. You know, why listen to or read <laughs> any of those things when you can go with gut feel? Well, that's right. <laughs> and, and on this momentous evening where yeah. Donald Trump has sort of announced or accepted the presidency of the US, I mean, it is fair to say that the DRS is, is the climate change yeah. uh, of, of cricket. And yeah. Trump uh, said that it was a myth created by the Chinese government. Oh, it's a Chinese uh, hoax. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine that one of Trump's first edicts would would be to rid cricket of DRS. Um, <laughs> and to, and to go with the yeah, first 100 days, I think he answered. Yeah, that was in the yeah. first 100 days. Was it? Okay, that's right. Good. Yeah. Uh, and that's also why the Channel 9 commentary team will prosper uh, throughout the summer because they go with their gut. Yeah, you know, they, they saw they go. saw what the ball was doing. It was going down. <laughs> yeah, and they yep. play test cricket. Therefore, mm. they know they know all. They know yeah. facts. Yeah. They're, they're the bloke I the DRS didn't play test cricket. <laughs> no. No. And you have to have played test cricket to make any informed comments on cricket. You, I think you could actually sometimes you can hear the commentators in the background when you're mm. watching the DRS. They turn the mics down, but the noise is so loud. And I think I did hear Ian Healy say, "How many tests has this bloke played?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the nature of the LBW because I know a lot of our listeners will disagree with what what I've just said, and I'll yeah. take the brunt of it. But um, but but like the way it hit his pad, he kind of like when it hit him, he did lick his leg down towards leg. So I thought it gave that optical yeah. illusion of that. Well, that's clearly classic missing. reaction of being hit but on it, leg as well. But it hit him on middle stump and it was going to hit leg stump mm. and the angle of Rabada bowling suggests that that's a pretty accurate trajectory. So do you think that the, you know, Healy and Mark Taylor and, and Michael Clark and everyone that you've just mentioned were swayed by the fact that he moved his leg <laughs> upon impact, just, you know, thrust it down the leg side and that confused them? I think it did confuse him. Also, the fact that Mitchell Marsh then managed to, like, it hit his pad flush, and then he managed to punch it down the ground for four. It was quite an unusual <laughs> set yeah, of circumstances, yeah. But in my opinion, and I'm basing that on science and, and mm. peer reviews, um, Silly. it's yeah. uh, incorrectly, obviously, um, but that's just out. Yeah. He was out, and science says that he was out. Oh, mate, it didn't, you know, moon happening didn't land, happen either. You know, <laughs> it was definitely filmed in the desert in Arizona. That's very good. I mean, we're talking about the Channel 9 commentary team. Yep. It's always a talking point at the start of every summer. It was a, it's, a, it's a revamped commentary team, not completely new, but revamped. Out with Lee and Hussey and in with KP and Clark. Uh, Dave, who didn't watch a ball of the test, what did you make of the commentary <laughs> team? <laughs> Sorry. The revamped commentary yeah. team. Isn't that yeah. just a branding buzzword as well that means yeah. ultimately nothing? Yeah. Uh, look, I did catch some of the test. Thank you, uh, Pezza. KP and Clark, I really enjoyed their dynamic. Um, they just seem like best buds, don't they? Just absolute <laughs> bromance blossoming offset yeah. between those two. Um, Isn't yeah. it great to listen to best buds chatting? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You're listening to the Grey Cricketer <laughs> podcast. <laughs> right. yeah. But, you know, KP seems to be reveling in his role as media yeah. pundit. And I, yeah. I think I saw on Twitter someone made a, a rather humorous observation that he, he wouldn't look out of place in a David Attenborough-esque documentary. 
you know, you know, whispering tones, you know, when, when rhinos are copulating. <laughs> I just thought you meant he, he was an animal. Like, literally, he <laughs> yeah, was yeah. just going to be filled with well, the iguanas. Well, like when, yeah. he, you know, when he... I think one of the great things for me in the, yeah. in the limited amount of that match that I watched was seeing the new, the new ads that are out this summer. There's always new ads Fresh every ads. summer. What were your favourite guys? But there's a couple to go through. I mean, maybe we can start with Dave Warner's ad. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Brilliant ad. Yeah. The way he um, said the company name over and over again is very mm. important, obviously, in marketing. Mm. Um, Edo's got some experience there in, in that dynamic, and it is important to say OLED over and over and over again. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I th- 10 out of 10. I think for me, the, the best part was the way he's sitting in the commercial. Like He's, he's kind of got his legs crossed mm. uh, in a very elegant way, and you just know that Dave Warner isn't a leg crosser. <laughs> he's definitely a guy who's just in the sheds, legs spread as wide as humanly possible, Throwing a ball between his hands, you know, he's that kind of guy. He, yeah. he just didn't seem right and didn't seem natural for me on the couch. Sure. I have to say I was pleasantly surprised to learn a little bit about the importance of the blacks on a TV screen as well and how that actually contrasts the colour. I'd never even thought about the absence of colour in the actual recognition of colour. I don't so know. That's a colour oh, you didn't person. study colour theory. <laughs> <laughs> well, just on that, I think uh, now's the probably time to hear work from our sponsors. I'm generally away during the winter, so I have the entire summer to spend at home watching cartoons with the kids. And I really love my OLED TV. Like, really, really love it. One of the things I look forward to most when I come home is actually to be able to sit down on the couch in front of my OLED TV and just say the word OLED repeatedly. I really like saying the word OLED. I'd never heard it before, this paid commercial. But I enjoy the way it rolls off my tongue, like some kind of exotic Spanish word. OLED, OLED, OLED. <laughs> it drives my wife nuts, but, but the kids love it. And I get... LG OLED TV. OLED. You'll hear it a thousand times this summer. So go on, try saying it a thousand times too. But it wasn't the only ad, he goes and Dave, that has been absolutely saturating our minds as the cricket started. Uh, the Commonwealth Bank's out with an ad as well. Yep. I'm not sure, even sure if we're allowed to mention that business. But um, nevertheless, Steve Smith, Josh Hazelwood and Usman Khawaja um, clearly doing business for, for the Commonwealth Bank, mm. a- appealing appallingly in a hotel. <laughs> and uh, there's, there's, something, there's something very unsettling about the way they appeal. I know it, it wasn't as um, prolific an ad as the OLED, mm-hmm. OLED mm. TV uh, ad, but... Um, that's one to watch out for as well. If you really want to rile yourself up, um, watch the Commonwealth. It feels, it feels a lot like when you drive past the cricket or when you feel playing and there's a car that drives past the cricket over around about 2 o'clock on a Sunday, Saturday afternoon and the car yells out, how's that? Or other things like that. I've heard cricket sucks. Yeah. Um, the one that's gone past. Well, these guys are on their way to the beach. I mean, a great time. Maybe a few beers in the backseat. I don't know. But I'm out there. You know, it's three for 276. Yeah. Um, it's the 43rd over. I'm hot. I'm tired. I'm emotional. And I want to see these guys go to the beach and have a great you time. You want to be in that car, don't you? You want to be in that car. You hate the sound of it, but you just would love to be there with those lads going to the beach that you desperately miss. <laughs> I, I've always been really curious. I, I mean, whenever I see that happen, if I've been on the field, I, I, I quickly try and scan as to how many people are in the car. And I'm always, I mean, sometimes there's one, sometimes there's four. And I'm always, one. Cu- I'm always, <laughs> cu- yeah, well, I want to get Six that. Beers. I'm always curious yeah. about the way that question or the decision to yell it out comes about beforehand. Like, yeah. oh, check, what, check, what, what are we going with, check, check this out, check this out. No, how's that? Do how's that? That's a good one. <laughs> how's yeah. that? Or just someone there on their own striving past and going, oh, this would be a bit of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cricket yeah. sucks is the best one. It really cuts the core. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does suck. Yeah. It is bad. Back to the ads, though, just, mm. just briefly. I mean, I think 
the secret to to advertising cricket or using cricket as in your advertising is to put them in a backyard setting. And I think every great successful ad that I've seen involving cricket is just the current Australian team in a backyard, you yeah. know, maybe wearing cargo shorts, you know, out of their usual whites, having a great time. And isn't that, isn't that, that that's what I'm looking for in an ad. Yeah. I don't like it when they're wearing their work clothes in a non-work environment. Yeah. So like when they're wearing just their whites at the shops or, you know, in the backyard, it doesn't, it doesn't feel natural. That, that's where I disagree with you. He goes, I absolutely love, the idea of Australian cricketers walking around in civil society in whites or their, or turning up to family Christmases in their tracksuit. In the baggy green. Australian tracksuit. At all times. Yeah, 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 at all times, anything they do, they never leave it. Should we crack on with the second test? It's happening. It's a thing. What's there to say? I mean, the uh, selectors have said that they would retain the side, so obviously following that, uh, John Marsh, Adam Vodras and Peter Siddle look like they're out. Mm. And in comes Joe Manny, Callum Ferguson and Joe Burns. I like it because I just want to see Ferguson and, and just because I unashamedly just want to see someone new. Mm. Something different. I, I need something trivial. Uh, Can it we... speaks to my superficiality. Yeah. Can Happy we talk about Sean Marsh falling over and breaking his finger? I mean, he's made of glass, isn't he? Like, what's like, he's got salad fingers. Like, just, just, <laughs> just fallen over and <laughs> just, like, he's just broken. <laughs> he's just broken. How has this happened? Like, he's, an, he's a professional athlete. That's his job. <laughs> Sorry. <When> he... <laughs> I'm just coming to terms with the concept of salad fingers. How does salad become the thing that describes isn't, something brittle? Isn't well, salad your hair cut? Like, yeah. Isn't that another great cricket <laughs> yeah. term? Not necessarily. Great salad, mate. I mean, it's just soft, isn't yeah. it? Like, it's just like, like if, you, if you had lettuce for fingers, obviously. Yeah. You would, like it would just be just fold. I don't know why. Just I'm just starting apart. to think about like avocado on someone's fingers and cherry tomatoes and lettuce and stuff. Like, oh, he's got salad hands. You go for a Greek salad there. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about the fact that even though you know these unfortunate injuries have occurred, that yeah. the Cricket Australia and well the selectors specifically said that they would take the same te- the same team into the second test. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, that I'm from the from the school of thought that you've got to be putting pressure on people at all times, you know, mm. in, in the corporate world, for example, mm. uh, you know, a, a good sales director will put pressure on his sales force by maybe there'll be a, a CRM that people can log into and see each other's pipelines. <laughs> uh, maybe an admin staff member will send an email around, you know, highlighting the best deals of the week and that'll put pressure on all the other people in the team. So it's all about for me, creating tension and anxiety and breeding good performances so why isn't Cricket Australia? I mean, I know Cricket Australia likes to think of itself as a corporation. Why aren't they taking that corporate approach? Well, let's put it, let's put them in touch with you if you're listening. To Cricket <laughs> Australia has got to develop some pipelines and create anxiety. <laughs> very, very simple. It does reveal mental fragility, yeah. doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know that they feel like they need to protect the players in the side at the moment. Uh, but if the yeah. cricketers feel comfortable, you know, it's like it's like cruising by on your base salary to keep the sales analogy going. You know, <laughs> we want. We want these cricketers chasing commissions. Runs and wickets are the commissions of the cricket world. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's talk about like... This Mick- is a Trump world. I mean, that's what he's done his whole time. Exactly. Let's talk about, I mean, someone who's under a lot of pressure is Mitchell Marsh, right? And he is probably the biggest rig in the team. So therefore, mm. probably one of the first names on the team sheet. Mm. Now, he's struggled a little bit in his test career. I think he averages around about 30 with the bat uh, and not great with the ball. than that, I think. It's, it's, it's okay with the ball, but it's not great just yet but he's obviously showing a lot of promise he's a young guy and also rigged but pressure on him and then you know uh neville has scored 230 in a shield game at hobart right. so can he bat six should he be batting six 
The average is 43 yeah, in he should Shield be. cricket. He certainly should be. Uh, yeah. Can I speak really plainly about it? I think Peter Neville is a better batsman than Mitchell Marsh, so yeah. therefore he should be higher in the order. I also think that Australia should have six batsmen in the side because they're not scoring very many runs. No. Nah. I don't mean to oversimplify. Sorry. Nah. Sorry to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to skew to oversimplification about it, but uh, I, I don't. I feel like. An all-rounder in the side at the moment is kind of like robbing Peter to pay Paul a little bit. Mm. You know, there's a little bit of bowling, a little bit of batting, exactly and it's not really working. We, we, we need runs. We don't score runs. Let's have batsmen who do that as a profession. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, there's something alluring about having an all-rounder. Hedging. It's all about hedging, hedging. bets. Of course. And, um, you know, but, you know, if we take away an all-rounder and we're just playing, it's a bit conservative, isn't it? And Australian cricket doesn't like conservatism. Mm. We're all about aggression and alphadom. It has been referred to as uh, the, the best uh, sports writing tribute to, to a particular sport since Fever Pitch. Uh, does it do anything to enhance literature? Would be another question. Another. I wouldn't even call it literature, really. Well, lads, just another distinct pleasure to welcome somebody to the show who is... Um, well, we're just not worthy or deserving of having people of this calibre on the show. Yeah. Uh, we've got with us Brad Hogg. Made his test debut in 1996, seven tests, 123 one-day internationals, 156 wickets for his country in one-day international cricket. Played 2020 cricket for Australia. Still playing, possibly, he can tell us. He can give us the, uh, the scoop on that. Mm. Debuting at 43, I believe. He can correct that if I'm wrong. And he's just released a book. Brad, welcome to the show. How are you, mate? Yeah, very good, very good. Um, yeah, I'm 45 at the moment. Uh, I think you just said I was 43. And uh, the other day I was on a show and someone said I played 156 games. I'm glad you said that 156 wickets because that's a little bit more impressive having more wickets than games played. Well, we, 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 we do our research on the show, Brad. That's one thing you can yeah. be sure of. Yeah, I, I, did, I, I didn't realise my stats until you just said it. Um, and, and hearing the other guy the other day saying that I had played 150-odd games, I, I, I could not remember playing 151-day internationals. But that's, that's a flat anyway, line. I'm glad you, you got it right. You know exactly how many games you played, how many runs you've scored, and wickets. So you need more no, forms I, of the game. I've got, I've got no idea. Absolutely no idea. So, All right. um, yeah. All right, Brad. Well, we, look, we like to ask this of every cricketing guest because this is the Grade Cricketer podcast after all. But can you just kind of tell us a bit about where it all started for you at the grade level? Uh, well, grade level, um, I started in the bush, played for a team called Tarwonga, got picked for the Williams Association, came up to Perth and Fremantle Cricket Club, uh, asked me to go down there as an opening bowler who could bat a bit. So uh, I started as an opening bowler. Uh, turned into a batsman, played A grade as a batsman, then shield cricket as a as, as a batsman, and then started play, bowling Chinaman uh, the first year of shield cricket. So I think this is an incredible story. In a, in a, yeah, it's an so incredible story, Brad. I, I, sorry to interrupt you as you're explaining to us uh, your, your career, but, <laughs> but I need to, this, but I need to talk. Want, mate. Oh. Uh, hey? Sorry, um, let me just get my rhythms right in conversation. But um, Brad, I, I just read this recently. So you were actually picked to play for WA in the mid '90s um, as a batsman, completely as a batsman. And then one day you were warming up some of the WA batsmen with some left arm Chinamen to uh, prepare them for David Friedman for Freddie Friedman's bowling against New South Wales, and uh, they just came out really well. And the next thing you know, you're playing for Australia doing that exact thing. Yeah, well, I was disappointed that the uh, team manager, Tony Mann, came over and asked me to bowl those Chinamas because uh, my medium paces, there was a little ridge there uh, <laughs> halfway down the track and I was really troubling the batsman and I, I knocked a couple of players on the head and uh, 
yeah, I, I just I was really troubling them, and I was a little bit frustrated because I thought, right, I could put, be here as an all-rounder, uh, just batting with with a little bit of uh, fast medium, or should I say slow medium? But uh, yeah, it was great that Tony Mann turned me around and told me to to bowl those left-arm Chinamans and. Uh, if, if he didn't do that, I probably would have only played three or four field games. Uh, I wasn't that flash at that level with the bat. Brad, um, what I'm picking up from this is that you started buying spin in your early 20s and you've made a very successful international career from this and a, and a wonderful life out of this. So basically what it sounds like to me, you have to be amazingly talented to play international cricket. Is that right? And I've got no hope at all. Hard work aside, it's just all natural talent. Uh, no, there was a lot of hard work, but you call it, could call it stupid because I was trying to do other things that I wasn't capable of, and uh, then all of a sudden, the thing that I was good at, um, someone else had to tell me what to, uh, that, that I was actually good at it. So, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's just amazing how how it uh, goes. And the thing is, you you, you know, you, you come across situations where, right, I'm at this stage of my life, and you've got to make a decision: do I go down that path or the other path? And uh, I just saw there was likes of Simon Caddish, Mike Hussey around that time, and myself. And the three of us were asked to all bowl leg spin. So Simon with his left arm Chinamans and Michael Hussey with his right arm leg spin. Leg spin. Uh, they were trying to get one of us to uh, be that spinning all-rounder. Mm. And I, I took to spinning a little bit more uh, serious than my batting. And the, the other two took their batting uh, a lot more serious than their bowling. So... It was great that um, I was able to go down that, that line and, and make a career out of it because those other two uh, players would have kept me out of the state team as a, as a batsman. That is unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> that is so right. I think you all made the right decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, that, well, Mike is uh, rather smart. Simon's rather smart. And uh, I was a stupid one who decided to go and uh, do the harder art bowling. Brad, if we can take you back earlier in your life, sort of even before um, grade cricket and, uh, and country cricket days, um, you speak about in the book you've got a, a great relationship with your mother and I believe that she had like a, a backyard pitch prepared for you and she she actually gave you a lot of throwdowns in your youth. Is that right? Uh, she did. Um, she was a very tough mother. She was a school teacher and uh-huh. if I didn't do my homework, she wouldn't throw me the ball. So um, I, I became a very excellent student or uh, or could I say... I was able to mock my, my papers so that it looked as though I did a bit of work. And uh, the, the, the teachers knew that I, I was more chance of being a sportsman than uh, being well-educated, so they were giving me the A's just to keep Mum happy to keep keep her feeding uh, the ball machine what? for me. Oh, so it was an actual ball machine that your mum was feeding, not just generic throwdowns with the arm? Uh, well, she originally she was throwing it down, and then she got sick of throwing throwing balls. Then she got sick of that, so she invested in a ball machine. Because, thank God for that. Because that is every young boy's dream is to have a ball machine at home. So you were living the dream at a very early age. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would have been about twelve when she got that. So um, how no, happy were you? Was that the greatest that, present yeah. you've ever received in your life? Because Christmas is around the corner, and you know I'm still looking for one. Yeah, <laughs> Dad, Dad, yeah. yeah. I don't know whether it was. A, I don't think it was the best present for me. I think it was the best present for Mum. <laughs> That's a very, own, very so. good angle yeah. to take, actually, yeah. Brad. Take you want, to, want to save your shoulder, Mum? Get the ball machine. Yeah, the Kingsgrove Sports yeah, Centre. My my presents for mum were an alarm clock, so I could get her up in the morning before school to come out and feed the ball machine. So, it's like Homer uh, Simpson. I, I was a pretty selfish kid. I'd always buy presents for mum and dad that, that would help me. So, uh, but you got to you got to be like that, don't you? 
No, if you want to get anyway. Oh, absolutely. That's great, Brad. I mean, I guess what comes through when you're talking about that is that you actually have a respect for other people, uh, unlike a lot of your colleagues who've recently <laughs> started, um, uh, when selling their own book, just essentially telling titillating uh, gossipy tales about their friends. Um, we, we just want to take a moment on the show to praise you for not going down that path. You know, when you've come to, I guess, author and, and promote your book, you've sort of bravely and admirably uh, focused on yourself. Uh, and, 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 and I think that is something to, um, you know, for us to call out and, and, and say, well done. Um, how did you find writing the book? And, you know, if, if you did want to say anything to the listeners out there about, uh, you know, what they can find in it, um, you know, the, the, the floor's yours. Yeah, well, uh, look, basically when I uh, first, uh, well, my grade teammate, so it's a great cricketer show, but it was my grade teammates who were trying to push me to write the book, a guy called Craig Silvey, uh, who wrote Jasper Jones, came around with his brother Brett Silvey, who plays great cricket with me. Uh, he captained the under-15 Australian teams, um, Australian team many moons ago. Uh, those two came around and uh, just talked to me about uh, doing doing a book. And I just thought, well, what do I write about? Um, you know, there's no point writing about things what people see on TV or people see you down the street. So I thought, right, I'm going to go into the dark days and uh, really go behind the scenes and, and how it is uh, behind the scenes. And it's it's not just about... Um, it, it's meant to be a mixture of humour, but also a lot of honesty as well. And um, I, I just wanted everyone to know who I truly am because I do go out and speak to kids uh, about resilience and to be quite frank i've got to be honest with you with them and when they ask me questions i've got to be very authentic and really say the truth if you're not if you're going to go down that path and uh try and be an influence to kids or uh give them a a good path to say that you know you can do it if i can do it um you've got to be honest with them you can't you can't hide anything so i've basically just gone out there and uh just basically said uh, all my all my vulnerabilities, let them out there. And the good thing about it was I had my grade mates around or some of my uh, close grade mates from, from the past that were seeing me as a junior. And uh, when we were sitting here with Greg Rowden, who uh, actually wrote the book, um, they, I just said to them, look, be honest. If, if I was the worst bloke that you ever met, I want Greg to know about it because, um, you know, that, that that's my growth as a person, my growth as a cricketer. And there's, there's no point in hiding the fact. You can, you can go out there and say, yeah, I was a good bloke, did this and did that. But uh, at the end of the day, I had my flaws. It's, re- it's really fascinating, Brad, because as Sam was saying, I mean, there are so many cricket books out at the moment. And, and I think what, what yours in particular has to offer, which perhaps others don't, is this really sort of um, like a tender vulnerability almost in your story. I know, I know there's a chapter in the book called The Collapse, and it sort of talks about um, you know, a, a first marriage and, and having a second child and then giving up cricket and then falling into periods of sort of drinking and, and, and sort of uh, the darkness of depression and stuff. I mean, it's really brave if I can if I can speak candidly about about speaking those these sort of things because it, I mean it's quite contrasting to other bibliographies or or, 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 or cricketers telling their stories and I, I just want to know if that was something that you sort of um, had to toss and turn over about uh, you know being open about these sort of things because to a lot of young people out there this is going to be something that's going to help them a lot yeah um, look to be honest with you I didn't even think twice about it mm-hmm. uh, every, every, I just wanted everything out there and I just uh, said everything to Greg Rowden and um, he he put everything in there. I didn't really think about it till the story came out a couple of weeks ago um, in the news, news, uh, newspaper story mm-hmm. with mental health, um, how, much, how much of a change that, that sort of turned the book in, in a sense that I thought, all oh, right, this is 
really an opportunity to help other people with that story. So yeah. uh, it, it's an actual surprise um, how that actually came out and how that eventuated. And, and look, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm actually glad that it has come out because the idea of the book was to give a little bit of humour uh, or to give a lot of humour, but also to um, you know help a, a few people out there that sort of uh, want to strive to make something of, of their life or become a sportsman and just see the the troubles that you have to go through to get to the top. That's excellent, Brad. And I just you know on behalf of us as well, I think um, you're a, a little bit of a trailblazer when it comes to Australian cricket in terms of actually just being honest in the way you present yourself. Because <laughs> we, we certainly know plenty of cricketers who don't do that. So congratulations <laughs> to you. Uh, in, in... I, I see. I will jump in here. Uh, when I did have my grade mates around here, right? <laughs> Uh, there was there was about oh, fifteen of them around here, and one of the guys, uh, Todd Lavender, uh, just stopped everyone and said, "Look, Greg, I don't know why you're wasting your time here. It's pretty simple. This book. Let's just get a cover page, and then the next page, Hoggy doesn't mean to be a DH, and then the next page, he just is." And then put the uh, put the back cover on it. So uh, <laughs> that summed it up pretty well. I'm okay. selling yourself short there a bit, mate. I'm sure this book has plenty of D.H. Lawrence in it. <laughs> uh, that's very good. It must be quite vulnerable to sit down with your best mates while they just tell stories about who you really are. Especially Todd awesome. Lavender. I know what he's like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, look, at the end of the day, uh, I, I think it's good. It's good for growth. And I, I like it when people are honest with you rather than peeing in your pocket. Um, you know, if, if people are just going to dodge around you and, and not tell you the truth, they're not worth being the, uh, being friends. So, I'd like to know what it was like for you sort of in the era, in the era rather, of Warren and McGill. I mean, that must have been a, a pretty tough time to think at any stage you're going to play international cricket behind, uh, you know, Shane Warren and then Stuart McGill comes along and does wonderful things. I mean, what was that like for you to be behind both of those guys? Uh, look, I, I wouldn't change it. I really enjoyed it, actually, because it made you work harder and it, it made you strive for that goal. When you got that opportunity, you took it with both hands. Um, and at the end of the day, I, I only played seven test matches, but I think the best thing that happened throughout my career was after the 2003 World Cup, coming back to Australia, and Warney came back from uh, his little misdemeanour and uh, he wanted to play one day international cricket and I was boosting his tyres in the media. Yeah, he's the best bowler going around, or the spin bowler going around. And uh, Trevor Holmes, the uh, selector at that stage, rang me up and said, look, mate, I'm going to tell you, this spot is yours. Don't boost Warney's tyres. The only way he's going to get back in there is if you stuff up. And um, when he said that to me, that's when I knew that I'd actually made it for uh, made, made uh, the heights of playing for Australian cricket. I yeah. had that one day spot to myself. Yeah. So even though you were a contemporary of Warren, you know Warren was just seen by all and sundry as just this kind of once in a lifetime spinner. And you know you kind of felt, oh, I'll just I'm certainly second second option to this guy. He's just way ahead of the pack. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, but. He had an awe about him as well. Uh, you know, he, he was a great bowler, but he had a presence about him as well. So it's not not just about skill. Uh, let's not take away the awe that he has, the presence that he has out in the field. And once you get a reputation like that, opposition batsmen start to start to panic. And the good thing with Warney too, he had Glenn McGrath at the other end, and uh, Gillespie and and Brett Lee and the likes of Caswich and, and Bickle who all kept the pressure on. And I, I know myself when I was playing one-day cricket and I had those bowlers around me, um, it, it just makes your job easier as a spinner because you know that the batsmen are, are thinking, right, I've got to go after the spinner, but I'm not 
really confident of going after uh, after the leg spinners because we, we've got a little bit more variation in the off spinner, so that they knew that that it was a huge risk to go after uh, us in a sense, but they knew that they had to take a risk because they couldn't get the other bowlers away because they're just uh, too good. It's been uh, it's been quite a, an amazing ride for you in the last sort of five years or so, Brad. You spent five years over at the Perth Scorchers there in the in the Big Bash League, which has in in a lot of ways revolutionised cricket in Australia. But uh, I'm reading that you've now signed for the Melbourne Renegades, um, which I'd imagine uh, is a it would be it would be a huge thing for you. I'm um, having to leave Perth after being um, you know your name chanted uh, at the Wacker every uh, you know, over the Christmas period for the last five years. I mean, it must have been a big decision. Uh, yeah, well, in the final hours of making that decision, it wasn't that big in the end. Um, mm-hmm. you, you just, you know, there's things in life that happen. There's, there's a little bit of politics, which I'm not going to go into, which is behind the scenes. Sure. Um, go uh, into that it. That happens. Uh, sorry, <laughs> you, want, you want me to go into it? No, just go into it. It's <laughs> all right. Yeah, right, right. No, but this, is, this is the thing. There's no point in going into it. It's just behind the scenes and... Uh, there's when your time's up, your time's up, and you've just got to move on. And, and there's other opportunities out there, and you've got to take it with both hands. So once I knew that I was making the decision, it was fine. Um, and what's what's happened with the Perth course has had to come to an end at some stage, and it came a little bit earlier than I wanted. But at the end of the day, it's another opportunity for me. It's a different environment, something that I... Um, I, I can't wait to get involved in, get my teeth into it. And uh, it's, you know, to go to a Melbourne team, especially with the uh, two AFL states of WA and, and uh, Victoria, yeah. we, we uh, really uh, got a lot of respect for each other, but we just want to beat the, beat the hell out of each other. So <laughs> it's going to be a little bit, a bit of a surprise being on the other side of the fence, and I'm really looking forward to it. That's awesome, Brad. Uh, we're going to jump into the second section of the interview called Throwdowns. Uh, so just probably I guess... thought this was the third section. Yeah, that's right. So did I, actually. Did we miss the first or second? <laughs> <laughs> is that second intermission? Are we back yeah. in 20? <laughs> <laughs> so this is where we just ask the question and uh, you... What is it? He goes, you, see, last time I usurped you when you told us what the rules were, so I won't do it this time. What's yeah, the rule? I think, uh, I think Brad gets it. Let's, let's, say, let's say one sentence answers. One sentence answers. One sentence answers. That's a bit too much for me. So we're gonna we're gonna pepper you with some short stuff, just like your mum did with the ball the ball machine. <laughs> yep, and, right. Um, here hope, we go. Hopefully you're prepared for it. So, Brad, people often describe you as a twelve year old in a forty five year old's body. Do you see this as a compliment or the sledge that it is? I see that as a bit of a sledge because uh, I, I got told that I was a fifteen year old in a forty five year old body. So <laughs> it's taken three years off me, which which is good. But I, I, I it, it's great. I feel youthful. <laughs> Brad, I mentioned this earlier, but why didn't you copiously sledge all of your teammates past and present in your book? Is there something wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is plenty wrong with me. As the I've old... got too much to come back at me on. <laughs> As the oldest guy in the team, uh, when there is a T20 super over, are you annoyed that you have to record Antiques Roadshow? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> no, that's enough. He heard it. He heard it. <laughs> Look, Brad, you're you're a 45 year old man playing alongside 20 year olds. Is this the reason you work so hard on your rig? Definitely. <laughs> my wife. <laughs> Brad, just, my just wife as a follow- younger bodies. <laughs> <laughs> no questions, Your Honour. Just as a follow up to the rig question, Brad, you have the best rig, having scored 14.1 on the beep tester previously with the Australian side. Does this mean you believe in cardio fitness during cricket preseason? Definitely. <laughs> Look, uh, 
Look, Brad, you used to be a postman, uh, and thank you for your service. What are your What are your thoughts on the future of the postal system in an increasingly digital world? I think it's gone. Um, at least you'll get your mail now. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, in that Test match uh, against Zimbabwe at the SCG, you took uh, three wickets, but you were uh, you were outstripped of the uh, of the awards that day by Simon Cadditch buying left arm Chinaman also, who took six wickets. How hard was it to look him in the eye and congratulate him? <laughs> I was really pissed off. <laughs> I, was a, I was a Michael Jackson of the uh, Melbourne Cricket Club. I didn't want to talk to Jared Healy. It's <laughs> <laughs> the greatest non-sequitur of the I'm only joking. I thought it was great, so I got the wickets. <laughs> So, Brad, uh, you, your book is titled The Wrongen, which is obviously a charming cricket reference to your own character. Uh, I just wanted to know, if, if you're a wrongen, who's a flipper? <laughs> and if that doesn't help, oh. who's a half-tracker? <laughs> oh, I've got to keep it clean. Come on. Half-tracker. Who's a beamer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my wife's a beamer. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I will not. <laughs> Look, we've just seen, Brad, that, uh, look, Donald Trump has taken the Oval Office. Do you think that Australia should pivot to Asia now that he's in charge of the free world? As a Chinaman. No, I'm just thinking of getting a reality show myself and becoming the next Prime Minister of Australia. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you do it. Outstanding job at that, Brad. Look, mate, it's been a pleasure to have you on uh, the third episode of the Grey Cricketer podcast. Really appreciate your time. Brad Hogg's book, The Wrong and Is in Stores, and uh, it sounds like it's going to be a good read. Thank you very much for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. No, thanks very much, mate. I'm just going down to my Grey team now and uh, going to pat him into a winning position and then bowl him out of it, as they talk. <laughs> Are you upset that no one comes to watch you play cricket? Are you tired of no one appreciating you for the talented third grader you are? The Cricket Family is the first program dedicated to helping people like you feel relevant again. We have a database of over 1,000 out-of-work actors who can come to your games and masquerade as your friend, girlfriend, wife, parents or grandparents, helping you create the perception that the people close to you actually care about what you do. Great shot, Jason. No, I'm proud of you, son. The Cricket Family, helping cricketers feel relevant once again. I just want to start with a little bit of apology. About two or three occasions, Brad was talking, then I decided to talk as well. I just my conversation rhythms are well off, so apologies if that's. Well, it's our show, Pez. So <laughs> it's a great cricketer podcast, and Brad Hogg's just on it. <laughs> Thanks for your support. I appreciate that support. <laughs> that's wonderful support. Let's move into your questions, though. The people who've followed the great cricketer yep. from day dot, or some who's just joined recently on Facebook, distinctly poorer grammar. Um, if you want to ask us any questions during the week, you can hashtag AskTGC or just add us. Get us on the Twitter machine or, you know, I suppose Facebook if you need to. But, We're getting uh, a bit worried about over-promoting it, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We're yeah, we definitely are. selling out like the vlogs we are. Yep. Uh, the first question coming through on AskTGC, Dave, and he goes, it's from Rooster746. His name is Rooster746. He says, uh, what's the minimum requirement for an afternoon tea to be considered, and I say this with air quotes, a good spread? Look, for me, guys, I think it's all about the mix. So you obviously want some fresh fruit there, just tokenistically. But, you know, Tim Tams are, you know, little small triangular-shaped sandwiches, homemade or obviously preferable, maybe with some iceberg lettuce. That's always quite refreshing. Uh, what about you, he goes? What's your thought? I'd like as much colour on the table as, as possible. So I think the first key element is a colourful tablecloth. 
right. and, and that can't be forgotten. <laughs> yeah, that's good. But, 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 I mean, variety is your key. So as you say, you want fruit. So you've got like, your watermelon, your reds. Mm. You've got, uh, you you got some grapes, a bit of green in there. And then you've got, the obviously, the array of biscuits and chocolate. It, it is inevitable. Now, without like things like sandwiches, like your white bread, um, um, sort of whole grain, multi-grain, um, your more affluent suburbs, that can add a bit of texture and colour as well. Different textures on your tongue is what you need. Um, <laughs> I've had some really bad teas, haven't we all? Mm. Um, but, yeah, as much colour on that table as possible. Yep. I love that we answer that question with, like, it was more sombre than anything else we've spoken about <laughs> on this show so Treat far. The tea with it really, I mean, what you guys are saying is really reflecting an increasing kind of, well, it's, it's not elitism, but like a, a gourmet culture well, that's maybe, pervading Australia. And well, also, there is a snobbery. We missed the opportunity to ask Brad Hogg about what teas were like in the 1960s. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to say, I mean, in, in the same way that airlines are having their foods presented by celebrity chefs, perhaps that's where grade cricket is going as well. So I was just sort of thinking, you know, um, just imagine just turning up to sort of, let's, let's, just, let's get to Melbourne. Imagine turning up to Footscray, Edgewater, and you sort of have braised chicken sliders by Heston Blumenthal. Yeah. And you actually have a menu as you walk in or deconstructed Doritos by Colin Fastenage. <laughs> Do you think that's where we're going? Yeah. Yeah, dark chocolate Tim Tams by George Calambaras. <laughs> I was going to say the Tim Tam Mignonette. I would but, uh, suggest they're actually heading more towards like instant coffee and like you know some sort of frozen meat than we are towards celebrity chefs. If I had to guess, right. well, after tonight's result with Trump, uh, as you listen to this, okay, let's let's move to the next one. I think we covered that very comprehensively. So laughing matter. <clears throat> Nordberg. The name is Nordberg. <laughs> Thank you to our Swedish <laughs> listeners. <laughs> and I, I just say this. Word for word, how's best way to deal with lower grader who comes to training with new ball or one he's been shining for six months and bowls you? <laughs> Is there any right way? I mean, look, if, if someone came to me and, and did exactly that, look, I would I'd pick the ball up with my hand yeah. and um, I'd shout loudly, is this two-piecer? So everyone, everyone could hear this, you know, what is this under 12s? And then I'd pick it up and yeah. I'd hit it as far as I could yeah. out of the net. You know, just You'd literally it lob the, it up in the air and yeah, just belt onto it. Onto the Pacific Highway, preferably. Getting his ball and yelling out, is this a two-piecer, is basically just like going onto the sideline after you've been bowled by a bloke and just yell out really loudly as if it was in conversation. This bloke chucks it. Yeah. <laughs> same exactly thing. Exactly the same what thing. What I would do is I always get, I would get into the net early and pretend to bowl some part-time leg spin that obviously bowls into like the, you know, back, goes over the back net, that kind of thing, into the side netting. But you his ball whilst doing that. So hopefully yeah. it gets knocked around a bit. And just our friend by just picking up his ball that he's been yeah. showing since Christmas 1997. Yeah. Why Why? you got a red king, mate? <laughs> What's oh, a red prob- king? Probably a little bit more realistic. I mean, the first thing that I like about the question is that, that mm. like, he's been bold, but he still feels like he has to deal with it somehow. <laughs> like some, there needs to be some reprisal to what happens. I mean, I don't, every time I get bold, all I want to do is smash all three stumps down with my bat. Like, you know... <laughs> say this all the time, but like, did you, no, I'm going to go too far into this, but like when I grew up with some kind of, in Christian development classes, right, let's just say that I did religion classes and they told us that heaven was a place that you went if you were ha- if you were good in your life and you got to do whatever you want. Yeah. One of the top three things I would do in heaven, which I can't do in this life, is smash all three stumps down every time I'm bold. <laughs> Obviously, I wouldn't get bold in heaven because all the best things are happening, but if it did happen, I would belt them all down. Yeah, yeah. that's true. And they just spring straight up in a sprightly manner because love is eternal. <laughs> so that's Nordberg. Luke Hemer writes in uh, and he uses the hashtag Ask TGC. He says, what does it mean when I dream that my slow pace bowling does much more off the seam than in real life? More dream questions. I don't know how to answer that. What does it, what does it mean? I mean, obviously, no, nothing means anything. Mm. Ooh, I mean, deep. look, I mean, it, it means that you're probably playing on a grassy English wicket 
which is rubbish because you're probably playing on synth though with a compo ball <laughs> with no scene. So what's with your dreams? Mate? Take that to the psychologist. Oh, I think there are developmental <laughs> issues here. Uh, it, it's kind of, uh, I firstly wanted to say that it was the root of optimism just to think in your dreams, oh, no, it's going to be doing a lot more yeah. than it does in real life. But there's something developmental about not realising that um, it's not happening for you, you know, when, when your eyes are actually open and realism is happening. Yeah. And he's a slow pace bowler in his dream as well. So he's, he's actually, he shouldn't be bowling. There's always one question Please we have. That. There's always one question we have to ask. So you know, like you know how you, you often have the dream of like getting run out or being timed out. One of those two. Is that because like you're dreaming of the worst case scenario in your life? We'll have to get. I mean, we've been trying to get child psychologist Stephen Bidoff onto the show. So these are gonna, <laughs> these are these are some of the questions we're going to have to tally up for him. I, I, just a little anecdote. I was at a cricket match over the weekend. Oh, I, yeah. I, I I coached some kids uh, down in Melbourne. Uh, shout out to the boys there. I mentioned thinking that this was just a standard thing that I constantly dream of getting timed out in my dreams. Yep. And to a person, they all found that bizarre. None of them have had that dream. You guys dream about getting timed yeah. out, don't you? Oh, look, I retired about seven years ago, and I'm still having dreams about t- being timed out in grade cricket. I've never seen anyone get timed out in my life in any form of the game. Nah. But I imagine it happens, and it's my ultimate worst nightmare. I get run out. I've never been timed out in my dream. I'm always run out. Is it because you can't run in your dreams? Yes. Yeah. Quick, I have that quicksand. Too. Quicksand. Uh, I, it's, I'm always going back for the second as well. Yeah, yeah. It's never. I'm not getting run out on the first. I'm not getting run out like Dave yeah. Warner did in the second innings. Like it wasn't like athletic. Like yeah, that. like a real, just a really good run out. Oh, I just yeah. failed to make my ground. I'm just running a marathon third run, and I just can never get to the end of the crease ever. And it's a direct hit from the boundary by a bloke who's just really surprising you with. It's this. like a sinking feeling because you can see the ball coming. <laughs> what is this? No, it's good. <laughs> you can like see the ball coming from the boundary, and then you get that sinking feeling like I'm not going to make it, mm. and that's. And that's when I wake up in a pool of sweat. Yeah. Our most serious topics tonight have been dreams and afternoon tea. <laughs> uh, the, the next question, it comes from, uh, there's, there's no name, actually. There's no name attached, and there might be a reason for that. But it, it, it just says, a long debated question, dot, dot, dot. How many tonnes in a row will get you from fourth grade to the Australian team? Okay, well, let's do this. Okay, so fourth grade to first grade, you're looking at five tonnes, I reckon. I don't think four is going to do it. Because, like, if there's, like, a team in, let's say, let's say. So, is he, sorry, he's starting in fourth grade. He's starting in fourth so grade. So, fours to threes to twos. You just need 100 to go from fours to twos. You're in fourth grade, you need 100. You're in third grade. Yes. Third yeah. grade, 100. Second grade. Yes. Second grade, do you need 200? I think you need 200s. So, there's five. There's, okay. There's 500s. Okay. So, so you need 200s in second grade. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Or if, like, like, if your second grade team is doing really well and they're in the final sport and they might be top mm. of the table or something, like, unlikely, obviously, your team's going to be 20th and looking at some sort of relegation, even though that doesn't exist in Australia. But Just to control the variables on this, he goes, because it's there. a very, very important question. It is. Uh, are we talking about a player who hasn't sort of just arrived from interstate and just mm. been you know, dropped into fourth grade, but probably is of higher ability? Or are we talking about someone who is nominally of fourth grade ability, nominally. who then begins scoring hundreds? Well, if you I think that it should be that. Context yeah, it is, is crucial, yes. Because if you get dropped into fourth grade and you score 100, you probably go straight into second grade. So I think we, we've, we've missed we've missed the situation. This guy's obviously going to be an international cricketer in three weeks. But if he's been averaging between 13.5 and 18 for seven seasons <laughs> yeah. straight and suddenly he has this majestic outlier of a season, yeah. eyebrows raised. Eyebrows raised. I still like yeah. that you know he's going to be an international cricketer in three weeks, but he only goes up to second grade <laughs> from the time. You've got to do your time. Yeah. Yeah. That's because second grade are in the finals, so they, yeah. need, they need to get the win. So, okay. so there's five. he needs to score 500 to get to first grade. And then you're looking at – you need like a bumper season. He's probably going to need to score seven first grade hundreds in a row. What, to be picked for New South to, Sorry, yeah. not New South Wales. How Sydney-centric is this, by the way? Yeah. Uh, to be picked in a state. For their state. state. <laughs> he started fifth grade. There's no fifth grade in Melbourne. Yeah, he needs seven in a row. 
I don't think five cuts it. I think it's going to be seven bumper. first grade hundreds in a row Mate, before there's... before the state side looks at you. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. And then and then you get your second. So he's game. seven plus five, twelve. Twelve. <laughs> this is this is this is almost unrealistic. But but he's got there's, there's there'd be lots of media. He or she there'd be lots yeah. of media around. Oh, this you, by once now. you score your seventh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nothing until then. Once you score your 12th in a row, then, then you know, an email from you know, the, your local newspaper. Okay. Um, so scouts are coming and then, you get, and then you get your second 11 game for your state. No, no, no. Sorry. It's straight into the state side, I think. Oh, well, he's going to score. He's probably <laughs> How regimented is this? Yeah. He's going to score 10. He's going to score 10. Okay, it's just in a row. First though, 100s in a row. Yeah. I, I reckon you might be able to leap a few steps if you're performing that well. I don't think you'd have to go through. I don't know, man. Second a good player. He's not going to bat in first grade. Yeah, good point. Good point. Okay, so 10 Plus five, yep. fifteen, yep. and you're playing for your state. You're playing, for and then your how state. many for your state in a row with fifteen hundred well, in a row behind you? I mean, we spoke to Ed Cowan last week, and he said it was as much about timing as anything. So you could score a lot of hundreds in a row, but it, you know, a spot won't open up because yep. the team's doing well. Obviously, in this situation, the team's doing poorly. We need runs, so we need this guy who was in fourth grade a month ago <laughs> to, to play yeah. in the home. Depends what your state is as well, how your state's going in the in the Sheffield Shield. Very and so true. Forth, Very and true. Crack that team. So but we I, need batsmen. So I wouldn't say. There'd be too many hundreds required at that level. Three in a row? Yeah. I reckon eight. So 18's the answer. Eight, yeah, okay. Okay, 18. That's the answer, 18. That's the show. <laughs> There's a lot of heads being shaken uh, <laughs> around this studio. A shout-out to the people who do the music or make this happen, actually. Shano on the voiceover that you hear on the ads. Adrian, AJ, Five, Star, Five Stripe Studios with the music. Julia for the graphic design. And anyone else, you know, mum, dad, who tell us that this is okay. And to everyone else, thanks for listening. This has been The Great Cricketer, Episode 3. And uh, we'll catch you next week.